Hello and welcome to today's webinar. I am Dr. Laura Hernandez and I'm a senior researcher at the Learning Policy Institute and a co-leader of their deeper learning team. And LPI is proud today to be partnering with the Alliance for Excellent Education to engage in this important conversation around scaling up deeper learning approaches in public schools. And today we will hear from leaders and experts who will share their insights on the importance of deeper learning for advancing educational equity. Our conversation will feature findings from an LPI report, which highlights how some networks have partnered with traditional public school districts to spread deeper learning in ways that produce greater success and opportunity for traditionally marginalized students. We will also be hearing from four amazing panelists who will elevate lessons from the field to help us think through the obstacles and opportunities that lay ahead to create and scale deeper learning. And the first of those is next to me is Deb Delisle. She is the current president and CEO of the Alliance for Excellent Education, and prior to her current position, has served in a variety of roles at the local, state, and federal levels, including serving as U.S. Assistant Secretary of Elementary and Secondary Education, a senior fellow at the International Center for Leadership and Education, and Ohio's 35th State Superintendent of Public Instruction. Deb, welcome, and it's great to be here with you today. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Also in studio, we have Dr. Sun Sam, who is a regional director for Big Picture Learning, a national and international network of schools committed to activating the potential of students and systems through interest-based real-world learning. Sun has been an innovative educator for over 16 years, serving as a teacher, principal, and district lead, and currently provides coaching around student-centered learning practices in his role at Big Picture. Thank you for being here, Sun. Excited to be here. And we have a <coughs> also have a few panelists joining us remotely. We have Julie Kessler, who is a supervisor in the San Francisco Unified School District's Department of Innovation and Design, which supports cohorts of schools and equity-based challenges. She previously worked as a principal of San Francisco International High School for seven years and worked with the Internationals Network as a teacher, coach, and leader for over 16 years. Pleasure to have you, Julie. Finally, we have Jim May, who is the Chief Schools Officer at New Tech Network a network that offers a whole school model grounded in interdisciplinary project-based learning. And in his role, Jim supports the implementation efforts of over 175 schools in 29 states in Australia. And he does so by supporting school coaches, assessment initiatives, and leadership development. And prior to joining the network, he has served as an educator and principal in deeper learning schools, and also as an adjunct faculty member at the High Tech High Graduate School of Education. Thank you for joining us, Jim. Before we dive into the conversation, a few details. If you're following the conversation on Twitter, please use the hashtag DeeperLearning to join the conversation and share your thoughts. You can also submit a question for our panel using the box below the video window. We will get to your questions later on in the webinar, but we will also address any unanswered questions on Twitter, on Twitter to continue the conversation following the webinar's conclusion. And as for our panelists, I will post questions to each of you directly throughout our conversation, but please let me know if you want to weigh in at any point. To kick us off today, we have a special guest who will help us understand what deeper learning is and why it's an important issue in U.S. schools. We are honored to have Dr. Linda Darling-Hammond, the President and CEO of the Learning Policy Institute, Charles E. DeCummin, Professor of Education Emeritus at Stanford University, 
and the current president of California State Board of Education, who will start our conversation with her thoughts. I'm Linda Darling-Hammond from the Learning Policy Institute. What do we mean by deeper learning, and why is scaling up deeper learning such a big mystery? Well, deeper learning is a phrase that refers to the kind of learning that allows people to learn to think critically, engage in problem solving, communication, collaboration, um, to learn in ways that they can transfer that learning to other settings outside of school because they deeply understand the content and its application. Uh, and it's not new, uh, it's a, an old form of learning. You can go back to um, Jean-Jacques Rousseau, you can think about John Dewey and his work at the turn of the century, the Progressive Education Association in the 1930s, the many alternative schools of the 1960s, and entire networks of schools today that are engaged in this kind of practice. Uh, however, it's been very challenging to spread this kind of learning uh, to all uh, kinds of schools and districts. Quite often it's been reserved for affluent students in suburban schools, for uh, students in gifted and talented programs or advanced courses where they're uh, enabled to learn how to think while other kids are engaged in a more rote form of learning. Uh, and the challenge around spreading deeper learning is that the pedagogies associated with this practice of inquiry-based learning, uh, students involved in learning to be self-directed and managing some parts of their learning, uh, making it experiential and applied, are challenging pedagogies. Uh, once uh, historian Lawrence Kremen wrote that progressive education failed to spread over the many iterations in our history because it requires infinitely skilled teachers and there was not an adequate supply of infinitely skilled teachers to spread these kinds of practices to the entire system. Uh, but today we are really looking at a 21st century economy and society in which students will have to learn how to manage their own learning because learning is uh, knowledge is growing at a very rapid rate. Uh, it's impossible to learn all the facts that may be relevant. Uh, we're going to have to uh, engage students in working with knowledge that hasn't been discovered yet, uh, using technologies that haven't been invented yet, solving major problems that we haven't managed to solve in all kinds of schools, in all kinds of communities. So, how can we scale up this form of learning? We discovered a set of networks that have grown from one school to multiple schools to schools in many, many districts, states, and even countries uh, that have managed to uh, scale up, if you will, this kind of deeper learning uh, by creating systems by which they work with districts and with schools and communities to figure out how to instantiate a design in the school that will support this form of learning to provide the kind of curriculum resources and professional learning for teachers and school leaders and system leaders to create the kinds of ongoing professional learning and engagement with other practitioners that sustain the work and to engage in continuous improvement to improve it uh, over and over again. 
these networks have done this work in all kinds of schools with um, all kinds of students who traditionally have been marginalized from this uh, sort of good stuff, if you will, uh, in the curriculum system. And they have managed to do this in ways that have produced greater equity and outcomes for students uh, who have had opportunities to learn in these ways. So this webinar is going to let you in on the secret of how we can scale up deeper learning, uh, learning from the lessons of these three networks. Thank you, Linda, for that framing for our discussion today and elevating why it's important to advance deeper learning as a powerful policy for equity and opportunity. Linda began her comments by referring to some of the technical and equity challenges that have stunted deeper learning efforts. And I'd like to turn to our panelists now to get their assessment of the challenges that lay ahead on the road to building schools and systems that support deeper learning. So Deb, I'd love to start with you. Um, given the many hats you've worn in the field of education, what do you see as the key challenges for spreading deeper learning in our school system? So first of all, I think that if we want to change outcomes for kids, we have to change the behaviors of adults, and that's really paramount to even getting into deeper learning. And one of the things I've found through all of my experience is that sometimes I believe my skies are everyone else's skies. That's how I like to define it. And it's simply not that way. So getting into deeper learning or other kinds of transformation um, uh, philosophies, one of the things we have to remember is we've got to shift that philosophy first and have people understand the rationale why we would expect to do things differently, both as teachers and as, as leaders within a, a school structure. I think we really have to think very strategically about the use of time, mm -hmm. as well as the uh, kinds of resources we have available to support deeper learning, including money and mm -hmm. humans, mm -hmm. the staffing that we have. Mm -hmm. um, I think there's also a real need to recognize the importance of a commitment to professional learning and be sure mm -hmm. that folks truly understand mm -hmm. what underlies the principles mm -hmm. of deeper learning and how might I have to change my practices. But paramount to all of that, and I'm sure you can get into this as well, is we have to believe that every kid, every mm -hmm. kid, can actually do this uh, type of work and actually engage in deeper learning and provide the supports necessary for kids to be successful. Thank you for that, Deb. Many yeah. of the points of which we will talk about today, yes. so very important to start there. Julie, I'd like to turn to you. Uh, with your work around innovation and school design, what challenges have you had to grapple with at the district and school level in your experience? Yeah, I agree very much with Deb. I think, you know, when we think about public schools and, and the shift there, public schools were not necessarily designed for this, right? Public schools were designed in an industrial model, and FSUSD is, is no different than that. Our, our systems weren't necessarily designed for equity or for deeper learning. We operate within this larger educational context that still prioritizes traditional assessments, which drives traditional learning, which has you know, traditionally led to traditional outcomes. <laughs> and we have an opportunity to disrupt that across our systems through deeper learning. But if that work is going to happen beyond pockets of schools, that's going to require a whole system reshift. It requires site-specific context that needs assessment systems and practices to shift the system at the same time that we're supporting the capacity of leaders and teachers to shift classroom level practice, right? That system work and that classroom and school level work have to happen in tandem, which is tricky. Mm -hmm. um, as we think about right, creating deeper learning experiences for our young people, we need to facilitate those experiences with the adults. And we know that our teachers and our principals are operating in already time-stretched conditions. Mm -hmm. right? And as we practice holding those shifts, it's at the school level and at the system level, 
that when we're asking our young people to do that and are asking our educators to do that. They've got a school full of other work that they're doing at the same time that they're trying to build the plane. Mm -hmm. Thank yes. you, Julie. Yes. All great points. Jim and Son, as members of Deeper Learning Networks who partner with local school districts to do this work, um, what additional obstacles do you want to share um, to inform our conversation today? Son, sure. Start, go ahead. Sure. Uh, first, I just want to co-sign uh, my colleagues Deb and Julie, everything that they said, um, coming from the coaching perspective of Big Picture Learning as we coach our schools and support our schools, all of those challenges are daily mm -hmm. and um, are primary role is to navigate schools and navigate leaders, navigate with our teachers and how to navigate the system pretty much because the system doesn't cultivate innovation, you know, it pretty much cultivates order. Mm -hmm. um, and we have to disrupt a little bit, as Julie said. So um, speaking from the big picture perspective, when it comes to deeper learning, our, the pillar of our design is an internship program. Mm -hmm. So really bringing our young people out of the school setting and into the real world mm -hmm. doing and engaging in meaningful, robust work that means something to them and has impact in their life and their community. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the biggest challenges for that is really once you start talking about taking young people outside of school, the alarms go off mm -hmm. for a multitude of reasons. Mm -hmm. Seat time, uh, academic requirements, credits, credits. Mm -hmm. So naturally the knee-jerk reaction to a lot of the innovation for deeper learning, that's the first sort of mm -hmm. knee-jerk response. Um, but it really is just a mindset, um, and there are proven methodologies and strategies to really strike at the heart of that, and that's sort of the body of the work. But that's a real challenge, um, helping folks sort of see the perceived challenges of a system and sort of navigate around that. So a lot of our support is really um, working with our teams and navigating that process. Thank you. Yep. Jim, would you like to add any final thoughts? Sure. I similarly to Sun echo everything that Deb and Julie um, started off with. I'd probably just add one point, trying to connect Deb's ending thought about the importance of our belief in all kids to engage in complex thinking, complex thinking and problem solving, and the emphasis on professional learning systems. Um, which is there is, I think, an analog at the adult level when we engage in work around building building the capacity of teachers and leaders uh, to, to bring forth deeper learning experiences for kids, that there is real skepticism <clears throat> about the ability of all adults to learn and to mm -hmm. engage in complex pedagogies. And so I think it's important to name and address that. And, um, and that, that belief has really concrete consequences. It pushes us towards sort of modes of training and command and control type systems and not the sort of complex thinking and problem solving or design of student learning experiences that deeper learning requires. Um, so I think that, that belief point is just as important when we start talking about the beliefs of <coughs> and adults to, to get better and to improve. Thanks, Jim. And given what we heard from Dr. Darling Hammond and our panelists here today, the depth of the challenge is significant with regard to sustaining and creating deeper learning environments. And because of the level of challenge, but also the importance of deeper learning for equity, the Learning Policy Institute recently conducted a research project investigating if there were examples of organizations that had overcome these obstacles that we heard from, from our panelists and Linda today, um, and particularly done so in ways that produce opportunities, greater opportunities, for historically marginalized students. We recently published our findings in the report, Deeper Learning Networks, Taking Student-Centered Learning and Equity to Scale. And in our investigation, we found that some networks had seemingly managed the feat 
of overcoming these challenges that we just discussed. And in turn, we sought to conduct research to answer one essential question. What systems and structures do networks or these organizations use to recreate their equitable deeper learning approaches? And while there are several networks that have successfully spread deeper learning models, we bounded our sample to three organizations. And we selected these organizations based on the fact they were exclusively or primarily partnering with traditional public schools across the country to implement deeper learning. But we also wanted to learn from organizations that were programmatically and geographically diverse in the work that they were doing. And we landed on three organizations, Big Picture Learning, the International Network for Public Schools, and New Tech Network. And I'll try to do justice to their complex models very quickly, <laughs> but we can, uh, they can, some of our panelists can discuss those complex models mo momentarily. Um, but Big Picture Learning, as, as Sun was describing, grounds its approach in personalized learning through which students explore their curiosities through work-based and interest-based learning experiences to develop content and interdisciplinary knowledge. The Internationals Network supports the academic development of recently arrived English learners through its rigorous and integrated instructional approach, which includes project-based learning, and provides numerous opportunities for verbal expression, vocabulary development, and explicit literacy instruction. And New Tech Network schools immerse their students in project-based learning and challenge learners to investigate real-world, complex questions that are relevant and interest-driven. And so while all these networks are distinct in the work that they do around deeper learning, they all, are, they all foster and sustain learning environments that align with the principles that Dr. Darling Hammond discussed regarding the types of classrooms and schools that foster deeper learning. And it's important to note that collectively, the three networks support a combined 271 schools and over 90,000 students in the U.S. and through their unique models have generated powerful outcomes for their students. And a final note on our research approach, to understand the systems that the networks use to sustain deeper learning models all over the country, we conducted an in-depth case study of each network as well as compared findings across all three. And our data drew upon interviews with network leaders, educators, and other key stakeholders we also conducted site visits at network schools and observed professional development, as well as analyzed organizational documents to understand network history, vision, and implementation. And in analyzing our data to understand how the networks have spread and maintained deeper learning models, a key finding that emerged related to school design, or the idea that whole schools had to be structured or restructured to support this type of learning. Each of the networks identified necessary structures that had to be in place for their models to thrive. And while again, these look different in each of the networks, what we found was they typically included rethinking the use of time to support student learning. So in creating master schedules that allowed for out-of-school learning or longer blocks of time for students to engage in project-based learning. But this also included restructuring teachers' work to allow for practices such as looping or advisories and also reconsidered how students demonstrate proficiency, including the use of performance assessments. And with this clear understanding of the conditions that they needed to implement their models, the networks in turn worked with local districts and community members to secure policies that would allow their models to take hold. So Sun, I want to turn to you first, given your work at Big Picture Learning which was featured in our research, um, I, I would love to ask you to describe how Big Picture works with practitioners to design and establish schools in support of deeper learning. 
Awesome. Um, multiple entry points for schools, but a lot of times folks come to us very interested about our design. So they did a little bit of research, know a little bit about us, and that's how we sort of start conversations. Um, usually our first step is we engage in a school success study. Um, again, what's at stake here are the education and lives of young people. So we want to make sure that we're in the best position to be successful. And so not only are districts getting a sense of who we are, but we are getting a sense also of the school and its capability for implementing the design. Um, even if it doesn't work out, we also give recommendations that schools can really just move to the next step towards student-centered learning. But typically that's how we begin our engagement. And if uh, from the school success study, if things are in the right direction, then we engage in a planning year. That's the most ideal situation. Now, most times that's not, uh, <laughs> that, that is a luxury, uh, but I'm speaking about ideals. Um, but usually with a year to plan and prep, we engage and start the work. So that is the, if necessary, recruiting the leader as the first one, then recruiting the staff. Um, and really that year is twofold. It is a design thinking process um, where the staff and the leader can really come together and define their vision for the school and what exactly it looks like. Mm -hmm. um, and then it's the recruitment of our students um, for its in inaugural year. And then really the bulk of it is just training the staff to get ready. Mm -hmm. um, as we think about this a little bit more too, um, usually our thought process is a three to five year process where in the beginning stages it's very, very high touch. Mm -hmm. So a lot more of resources uh, and collaboration on the front end um, and with gradual release. Um, because again, we know that from a sustainability standpoint, we want to build capacity on site and that's our goal. We're, our goal is never to have these massive contracts. Mm -hmm. That's just not sustainable, nor our design in general. Mm -hmm. um, and really that's the body of the work in supporting our schools uh, evolve and become a thriving, you know, student-centered learning, deeper learning school. Mm -hmm. Thank you for that. Jim, as a leader in the New Tech Network, I want to ask you the same question. How does New Tech work with local stakeholders and educators to design and establish schools that align with your deeper learning model? So we have, we have four design pillars or design elements that our model is really built around. And, and those sort of anchor our collaborative work with local schools and districts. Uh, those elements are, they start with uh, an articulation of outcomes that matter. So we've, we've worked to articulate a series of five learning outcomes uh, that we think are, are kind of our articulation of what deeper learning outcomes look like in our model. Uh, knowledge and thinking, uh, written communication, oral communication, collaboration, and agency. Uh, and so we have an articulation and a set of rubrics uh, across those five learning outcomes. And then all the, all the rest of our model are about designing to help students build their capacity across those outcomes. And so that's a really important thought for us. It begins by thinking about those outcomes. Then we talked about teaching that engages. Uh, primarily that's centered around project-based learning, although we do support um, problem-based learning as well. Um, but, but the connective tissue there, obviously, are inquiry-based approaches. Um, and a lot of our work is building the capacity of teachers uh, to design and facilitate project-based learning experiences. Uh, and then we would talk about culture that empowers and, and specifically about the idea of safe, inclusive, and emotionally supportive culture uh, for all the students uh, in that school, in that school community. Um, and at, at our best, that's true for the adults uh, as well, but the, the dynamics of the adult culture actually really mirror uh, the dynamics that we're after for the student culture. 
Um, and then lastly, we talk about technology that enables. And so we've also developed a learning management system designed to help teachers sort of organize their work and design project-based experiences for students. Embedded in there is an integrated multi-outcome gradebook uh, that aligns with those outcomes you heard me mention a moment ago. Um, and so that, that helps us create a systematic sort of coherent whole for teachers that make sure those outcomes can be the anchor of the design and facilitation of learning experiences and the driver of the uh, assessment of learning as well. Thanks, Jim. And Julie, I, I know you work directly to create deeper learning schools in your work with the Internationals Network and now grapple with similar questions as a district leader. What insights from your own experiences would you add about the importance of restructuring schools and implementing or finding policies to support deeper learning? Yeah, I would echo a lot about, you know, the way that the international partners with schools sounds very similar, right? And this is the idea of listening to the school community and taking school context into consideration. The international schools are part of a network, but each one of them is completely different and unique and has their own flavor and character and needs and challenges. Okay. Um, but what I was struck by is in, in Jim's comments about the idea of outcomes, I think there's something common here about this idea of the what and the how. Um, the International's Network has five core principles, which, which are the how of the work, right? And it's heterogeneity and collaboration. It's the belief that our young people have to be in the most heterogeneous language groups possible and collaborate authentically within those groups. It's experiential learning, saying that our young people need to be the ones who are doing the learning and the thinking and the speaking, and not the adults in the room. It's language and content integration, believing that our, our students don't have time to learn English and then do high school. Those things have to happen <laughs> at the same time. Mm localized autonomy and responsibility for our young people, for our teachers, for our teams of teachers in the schools. These are places that we want to put the decision-making and the power in the hands closest of people closest to the problem. And finally, one learning model for us all, which we believe that the young people, uh, that if we have a pedagogy about what we believe is the best way to support our young people to learn, we have to believe that that's the way that our adults need to be learning as well. So those, those key together are our how. But I also hear this idea of a powerful what, of in what ways are we asking that there is something beyond mastery of standards that we are working towards to the type of humans that we want to create. Mm -hmm. And I think each school has their own particular. I'm also seeing more and more districts having a graduate profile to help mm -hmm. determine their what, right? These are all tools of deeper learning that we are doing in service of something. Um, and I think supporting schools and supporting districts to be clear on what that something is, right? What is it that we are hoping to develop in these humans. Um, to, to be clear on, on the what and the why is just as important in many ways as the pedagogy and how. Thank you, Julie, for that. And, and I want to redirect our conversation to another finding, but in many ways you already started touching upon that, which is the notion of partnership to deeper learning. Um, in, in looking at how the three networks were really trying to establish and sustain their schools over time, the idea of partnership was a key piece of the puzzle. And so, what we found is that even though the networks do have these criteria and conditions that they want that they need established for in order for their models to thrive, the relationships with districts and local communities was always collaborative, which allowed them to recreate their models in high quality and context sensitive ways. So like you just heard from a few of our panelists, the networks worked with districts and local stakeholders from the onset to design and establish their sites. But that work continued. So we also saw them continuing to their outreach to districts and local communities to grow and support investment in deeper learning. But they also worked with local organizations to support professional development and importantly, to create opportunities for students to engage in authentic and personalized educational experiences. So Jim, I would 
like to pose another question to you since the New Tech Network has a very well articulated approach to working with local districts and communities. Can you tell us a bit about what that partnership process looked like and why it's important for deeper learning? Yeah, so we are abundantly clear that we do not operate schools. These, these are not our schools. These, are, these schools are of the communities that we partner with. So it's a really important stance for us. Um, and I think it's, it's really important to deeper learning because of comments that Julie made earlier around sort of this sort of Russian doll idea that, you know, if, if, if we want to help a community enact deeper learning in one of their schools, then we have to engage them in the deep thinking work to design and bring that school to life. And we can't show up with a sort of fully packaged model where, where they've outsourced all the sort of thought work to us and um, it won't work because of the differences in local context, but it also won't work because they're not engaged in the thought work and the design work themselves. Um, in terms of our process, we have a process that I think is somewhat similar to internationals and big picture in terms of a pretty lengthy collaborative design process before a school ever launches. For us, that can be anywhere from six to 18 months, depending on the community and, and how we met. During that time, we're working to understand deeply uh, sort of the particular motivations of that community. As Julie talked about, we're often helping them uh, articulate uh, a, an ideal graduate uh, that, they're, that they're working to develop in their community. And that's often really attached to issues like their local uh, economy um, or historic or cultural challenges in that community. So the contours of each community are really different. That really informs what that graduate looks like, and it informs how the, the principles of our model become enacted. And then it's ongoing partnership with time as those contexts change. So, for example, yesterday I was visiting a school in Cincinnati, Ohio, that's had a, a really sharp shift in their demographics over time, and they now have 32 languages represented in their school community. So they're working to um, address actually many of the things that are at the heart of what International does well, but they've, they've been a longstanding member of our network. Uh, and so we, we continue to partner with them, engage in design thinking processes with them, um, specifically, this school's working through a liberatory design process, again, trying to bring, uh, adapt those principles to the shifts uh, in, in their community that they've seen over the last several years. So it is, it is both a really deep partnership from inception as well as all throughout the school and district evolution and development over time. Thank you for that. And Sun, I know you mentioned the school success study already and have referred to partnerships, but I would love to hear you if you have anything to add around partnerships and the importance of that for deeper learning, especially in the big picture context. For sure. Um, well, we wouldn't be able to implement our design without partnerships. Uh, since our sort of access point or gateway to deeper learning is through our internship mm -hmm. program, which is all about community partnerships. So f from the entry point on a, uh, starting up for, with a brand new school and developing an internship program, we really engage district folks, uh, on-site staff, and also, believe it or not, parents. Mm -hmm. um, because literally building an internship program from the ground up, we need that social uh, network from the beginning. So it's literally word of mouth. It's parents um, at their jobs, parents knowing folks. So we do an assessment first uh, of our young people to explore what industries they're interested in. And that's sort of our baseline data uh, that we use to share with our stakeholders. That means district folks on-site staff and our parents. And if they know someone that knows someone that knows someone, uh, <laughs> we, we gather that and uh, on a massive spreadsheet, uh, spreadsheet that now has become our digital tool, which is called Emblaze. It's our internship management program. That's the beginnings of developing our partnerships with mm -hmm. all stakeholders. 
in the process, um, you know, we work with uh, on-site um, staff members to really cultivate that relationship with the mentors um, so that the young people are really digging into what deeper learning is and that's the development of that interdisciplinary project. And that's that ongoing process of what the young people will be doing and what they'll be learning at their internship site. And then really it's the post. So the post is where we come together as a community and we engage with everyone and we come to do two things. We come to celebrate young people and we come to push them further. And uh, this is a culminating event that we call exhibitions. And it's the time where uh, it's a, a day of celebration and a day of uh, <laughs> a rude awakening, if you will, for some. Um, but that is par for the course in the learning process for young people because they're held accountable to a high, high level when you have your parents there, your siblings there, aunt, uncles, you have your mentor there, you have your peers from school there, you have district folks there, all there to hear about what you're doing, but also to really push you to the next level of rigor and what deeper learning really is. Mm -hmm. So all the way from the onset of developing an internship program to the process in between as we're cultivating projects, all the way to when students demonstrate uh, competencies mm -hmm partnerships with all these stakeholders are intertwined and absolutely necessary in order for Big Picture to implement our design. Thank you. Those powerful examples really ground <laughs> the role of partnership. Yeah. Deb, given your work at the district and state level, um, I'm curious if you've seen cross-institution or cross-sector collaboration mm -hmm. uh, really support deeper learning or how you think it could support deeper sure. learning. Sure, yeah, I, I've absolutely seen those kinds of partnerships emerge. And I, I really want to point out something that I think um, that Jim and Julian San didn't really identify, but I hear it in your explanations and in that whole piece is both sides, I'll say both sides, you know, partnership and then the school entity, I think have to approach this type of work with a great amount of humility mm. and candor. I mean, I think sometimes partnerships get derailed when people say, well, I'm going to come in and tell you what to do in that school. Mm -hmm. And then you get this defensive mechanism that mm -hmm. steps back. So especially through our SIG programs, et cetera, at the mm -hmm. federal level, and then what I've done at the state level, what I've seen is this um, incredible nurturing relationship that develops. It's highly respectful and people don't come into it saying like, we have all the answers, we're going to show you what to do. And so I think as uh, Jim, Julie, and San have mentioned that context matters a lot. Mm -hmm. So what I've seen really work really, really well is when there's this mutual understanding of why. I think Julie referenced the what before, but people have to understand why are we making this change? Why are we investing so much of our time and energy and sometimes our tears mm -hmm. in transforming things? And, and how do we stick with it together? Mm -hmm. So when it relates to the candor part, I really think it's important for both groups to be able to come to this mutually beneficial partnership and say, this is what we are not good at. Can you help us? Or do you know somebody who can help us to mm. do that? And I've seen this. I have been able to visit these types of deeper learning um, programs. I just, you know, it's almost this magical synergy you see when the partnerships really work. I mean, it sends chills. Like I walk out and I'm like, I want to be a student in that <laughs> school. And as soon as I know that, I just feel so great about it. And you can't always define it, but you feel it when you walk into that building. Mm. So I'd go back to both sides understanding the why, mm -hmm. having this just incredible synergy and believing in kids all the time. Mm -hmm. And also, this work is not easy, and I know mm. you have all mentioned that. So it's also lifting one another up and saying, it's okay, we'll get through this together. Mm. And if the schedule, the bell schedule mm. can't change, or there's something with a teacher's negotiated agreement, or mm. there's the something doesn't, occur so right real. with the leadership. It's just mm -hmm. like how, instead of seeing that as just this brick wall, 
well, how do we get around that together right. but joining forces and saying mm -hmm. we're going to do this because every kid deserves what we get and I you know every time I go into a school I always think about is this school good enough for my own kid mm -hmm. and if the answer to that question is no then I just get so dismayed because then it's we're saying it's okay for other people's kids right. so I give great credit to the other folks who are in this conversation because Again, the work is not easy, mm. but the belief in kids and mm -hmm. understanding the why behind it just fuels those great partnerships. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, I'm going to take us to the final part of our conversation, which will uh, is another key finding that we've touched upon quite a bit already in our conversation today, which is around professional development mm. for deeper learning. Um, we found <coughs> that we found that leaders and educators in our study all pointed to the importance of having multifaceted and reinforcing systems of professional learning to support them in engaging in this work. Uh, a point that was particularly underscored by the fact that many pointed to the fact that they weren't educated in deeper learning approaches themselves, nor were they prepared to do so through preparation programs. And so while each of the networks had distinct features in their professional de development structures, we found that they provided multiple forms for practitioner learning, including network-wide or regional gathering, or those hosted through virtual platforms. Mm. But the networks also emphasize the importance of peer-to-peer -peer learning to yeah. support onboarding and professional exchange over time. So this included intra-network visits um, to different sites, also working with coaches who were providing targeted and job-embedded support to educators and leaders. Um, notably, the, the networks also maintain online repositories that practitioners could access at any point to find resources to support student learning or project planning. And, and a final notable feature across all three networks was around the format that professional learning took. And I heard Julie mention this earlier, but each of the networks structured their capacity building activities in ways that mirrored the deeper learning approaches that they were implementing in their schools to a large extent. So this really helped teachers and leaders to see and experience as a experience those practices from both the perspective of the teacher, but as well as the student to really build that empathy and understanding of the rigor and cognitive challenge that the students were going to be under. Son, mm -hmm. as your role, in, in, in your role as the regional director and the many hats you've also worn with big, big Picture, I was hoping you could highlight some of the key professional learning structures in your networks for yep. teachers or leaders, mm -hmm. and also what you think makes them particularly powerful. Mm. So there, three tiers. Um, the first one is the on-site coaching throughout the year. Um, we have positions as the regional coach where I go in and I support the schools on-site. Um, I'll talk a little bit more about that. We also have school design coaches. Uh, then we have our annual conferences, which is uh, the Big Bang the International Student-Centered <coughs> Conference, uh, typically in the middle of the summer, right before school starts, and also our leadership conference, which we're headed to next week. Um, <laughs> And we have our online platforms, as you've mentioned uh, before, which mm -hmm. something called Learning Big Picture, which have a, s a sequence of courses that runs people right through our design of advisory and, and internships, as well as uh, employees. But um, I'll speak to the biggest bang for our buck, if you will, where I've seen uh, <coughs> the most gains, and that's when I'm able to work side by side with um, our schools. Mm -hmm. And it, it's one of our coaching approaches that Elliot talks about a lot uh, when thinking about coaching. He uses one word, this word called with. Mm -hmm. So coaching with your schools mm -hmm. as opposed to coaching to. Um, and there's no more powerful approach than with meaning. So if I'm trying to help uh, new advisors uh, learn how to support mentors in cultivating rigorous, deeper learning projects, mm -hmm. I go out with them. Um, they shadow me. Um, I lead 
uh, internship uh, project planning meeting, um, and we reflect afterwards. So the 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 similar coaching cycles that a traditional teacher and like coach would go through as far as the pre-planning, the during modeling, the reflection afterwards, the planning. That cycle is very very powerful for our design as well. And I've seen that's. That's typically the biggest bang for our buck where most folks really develop capacity to mm -hmm. continue to implement the design. And then really the biggest piece for me <coughs> is really developing capacity on site, particularly with the leadership in the school. Again, saying connecting to something similar I said earlier from a sustainability standpoint, we really, really try to build capacity on site so uh, the folks can carry the torch and continue to do the work with or without us. I mean, ideally with us because <laughs> we really, mm -hmm. you know, this is a partnership and, and we really enjoy um, working with schools that are engaged in deeper learning. Um, but yeah, that's typically the process that we mm -hmm. go through around the uh, professional development mm -hmm. standpoint. Thank you for that. Mm -hmm. And Julie, from the district perspective, how has professional development supported the growth of deeper learning in San Francisco Unified? I want to reiterate how important it is that the adult learning mirrors the student experience, right? If we are not modeling the skills and behaviors that we want our young people to demonstrate, and if we're not approaching our adult learning using the same pedagogical approaches we want our teachers to be using, right, then we're not going to be able to build deeper learning systems. This reference that most of our educators were not taught using deeper learning philosophies. Mm. They, they mm -hmm. received a different mm -hmm. way of being educated, and it is up to us to provide those different opportunities in the same way we'd want to see our young people. And, and so here in SFUSD, one of the largest scale initiatives that we're working on now is our middle grades redesign project called Initiate Wonder, which is shifting the work of all of our middle schools in structure, in schedule, and in pedagogy over the course of several years, right? This is this idea of what, is it, what does it mean to take a look at a sector of our student experience and say we want to dramatically shift it system-wide. Um, we've also been working on operationalizing our graduate profile to help us reframe our collective North Star. Right? We, we need to get clear as a system about what we are about for these young people because if it is the way that public education has always served them and if our goal is good SBAC scores and that everybody's graduating in four years, we are not doing it for our kids and our families and that is not the promise that we have to them. Mm -hmm. So we've been doing some of the internal reflecting on adult work of what is it that we want to be about for our young people and our families. Mm -hmm. um, we also do an annual process called the Innovation Awards where school teams use a human-centered design process to redesign aspects of their school structure to better meet equity-based challenges that they have identified. Um, so, so these are uh, some, of, some of the pieces that we've been working on. I would also add that we have a new principal support structure, which I think there's a lot of thinking, you know, some, some reference to it in that there's instructional coaching and then there's school coaching. Um, and this piece about how are we supporting our principals and assistant principals to be leaders of schools for deeper learning, whether that is an explicit stated focus of their school or not, how are we training and onboarding all of our new leaders to see themselves as leaders for deeper learning? Thank you for that important point, Julie, and, and emphasizing that the professional development structures we saw across our networks are definitely both supporting mm -hmm. educators and leaders mm -hmm. very deliberately uh, at several entry points along the process. So I appreciate the examples you're sharing about how that's being taken up in San Francisco Unified. Um, Deb, from the state and systems level in terms of professional development systems, what opportunities or you know, um, initiatives have you seen that have really helped improve professional development for deeper learning? Yeah, I, I'll just ex expand upon a couple because I think, San, you mentioned it so um, 
eloquently, and that is this whole focus on peer coaching mm -hmm. and on, uh, on relying on adults in the system who already have a lot of the answers. Because so often in professional learning, we think about you know the swoop-in model. We're going to mm -hmm. send in this consultant. They're going to tell you what to do. Then they leave, and there's no further connection, right? And when you're struggling with a, a, a learning activity, for example, what do you do as opposed to building a reliance on one another? It's a mutual accountability system. So I believe wholeheartedly on that. In addition to that, um, I think you referenced also this whole notion of changing dialogue to a reflective questioning. I, I just think in this age of education, we get to the point where it's easier to, for me to come in and tell you, son, what to do as opposed to tell me a little bit more about why you approached right. son that way, right? right or right, right. tell me a little bit more about your interaction with Laura. How do you think that helped her or mm -hmm. perhaps stopped her from learning kind of thing? Mm -hmm. So it's getting into this whole new talk, if you will, around reflection and peace. And I've seen a lot of folks do one, but I'm just going to highlight one which doesn't cost money and it's something very simple. And it was a high school I visited once um, and they were engaging in a total transformation at their high school level. And they really needed, they needed to find the time, but they had a very strong uh, bar bargaining agreement mm -hmm. and nothing could be changed very much, right? So the principal worked with the teachers groups and said, look, if what if I ask kids to come in earlier, uh, I mean, excuse me, to come, have kids come in later one hour on Monday, mm -hmm. which solved the problem of kids being late to school on Monday all the time, you know, <laughs> kind of getting back in the throes of work. That solved that problem. And asking educators to come in one hour before they would normally do it. So he gained two hours there every Monday. And then they had, he had his, um, every adult in the building come together and say, how do we work every single Monday in that two-hour time block. Mm -hmm. And actually, the adults in that building, and I'm talking not just teachers and classrooms, mm -hmm. but the security systems, mm -hmm. the resource help, they had help from central office, et cetera, facilitate conversations. Sometimes they met, let's say the first Monday of every month was just focused on content-specific areas, mm -hmm. and the second was working with student work. So very specifically, and then he said to them on Friday, then you could leave when the kids leave. Mm -hmm. So it was a win-win for everybody. It solved mm -hmm. two problems at once, mm -hmm. the students coming in late, in addition to gaining time. So those are the kinds of things you just have to be creative about. And I love the fact that these networks exist because if I'm having that difficulty, I may be able to call you know, San Francisco and say, what are you doing about this? Because I can't figure this out myself. Mm -hmm. And they seem simplistic at times, but everything doesn't cost money. It's just a creative solution to do it. Mm -hmm. But again, focusing on exactly. the adults in the mm -hmm. system and making sure that they're learning as well as mm -hmm. their students are learning is critical. Mm -hmm. It's a really beautiful example, Deb, of the cross between partnership mm -hmm. and how that can be right. in service of developing a more robust professional learning experience. Exactly. So those two really coming together to amplify right. or make this possible. Yeah. So, Well, thank you all for the responses yeah. of, of, up to this point. At this moment, though, I'd like to turn to some of the questions that have come from our webinar attendees. And as a reminder, we'll be taking a few questions now, but also be continuing the conversation on Twitter for those, that those questions we don't get to. So first, we have a question from Andrew in Massachusetts. Andrew raised an important point around the legacy of No Child Left Behind and how it has narrowed curriculum and learning experiences, particularly among students of color and students from low-income families, to which he's, he rightfully suggested has kind of cemented the idea that high test scores equal school quality mm. or reinforce the use of traditional quote-unquote pedagogies. Um, so he asks, should the transformation of accountability systems that emphasize narrow forms of testing be a priority for deeper learning advocates? <laughs> and if so, how can we migrate accountability systems to drive effective teaching and learning? That's Small question. I think you heard <laughs> yes, yes, and yes. So maybe you can give a great example. Yeah, <laughs> uh, 
A hundred times, yes, mm -hmm. uh, which is why our network is working adamantly right now on developing new measures that matter. Mm. Um, so in addition to these measures, because we want our young people numerate and literate, like no one's arguing with that, uh, mm -hmm. but when that becomes the sole measure, I think that's where we lose mm -hmm. what's really important um, with our young people uh, and working with our young people. Um, so everything, everything like, that's why competency-based learning is so critical um, mm -hmm. in the conversation of mm -hmm. deeper learning. Mm -hmm. um, that's why we have alternative assessments. And I'm just coming off um, reading the article anyways of the PISA. I know that mm -hmm. just came out mm -hmm. recently and where America and where we rank and I know people are up in arms around that and just talking about the scope. Um, my personal belief on it when it comes to deeper learning, I think we're measuring the wrong stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, we're in a new day and age where there's different critical skills that young people need. Mm -hmm. um, and so we have to develop. So similar to uh, what Andrew was asking, I think it's 100% we need to dig into new measures that matter. Mm -hmm. I think we also have to be transparent about it. Yeah. So so often I've seen one challenge, and I'm not sure if any of the networks have seen this as well, but when people switch to a different kind, particularly competency-based, mm -hmm. inevitably families will come in and say, well, what is that? Is yeah. that an A or a B or a C, mm -hmm. right? And how can I get that letter mm -hmm. grade up? Mm -hmm. And also, how do we work with higher ed to understand that this is not just about a GPA, but it's growing good people. And I think it was Julie or somebody else mentioned so often people coming about and creating these profiles of a graduate. I know when I do a lot of uh, work with school districts and talk about, you know, what does your mission say and do you live it? Mm -hmm. I have never seen one mission statement in a school say, our kids are going to be great test takers. <laughs> so they don't necessarily live that mission every day, but they do, they, they actually go against it when they're creating this great bubble filler inners kind of thing. Mm. They're going to get through the whole textbook in one quarter or one part of the year, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I do think we have to try to inform our communities about the why behind it mm -hmm. and why do we care about growing empathy with people and why do we care about kids showing up at time for an internship. Mm -hmm. All of that matters in the end and that's mm -hmm. what businesses are really pushing us for. Mm -hmm. They're not necessarily pushing for the content so much as what we I always call as life skills. Sure. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. We are teaching what we are assessing. Um, having to rethink the ways in which we are assessing our young people, Sorry, even if I those measures don't yet exist, right? If we are thinking said? about what are the skills that we want to be asking our young people to demonstrate, um, it is tricky when it's like, well, we don't actually know how we would measure that, right? Well, the answer to that isn't, okay, so then we shouldn't focus on it. The answer is we need to develop more robust assessment systems, system-wide, state-wide, nationwide, to help encapsulate better what are the ways in which we want our young people to be demonstrating these. I heard people talk about internship exhibitions. I heard performance mm -hmm. investment. I heard outcomes-based. All of these are ways in which schools are starting to step into saying, even if it's not easily quantifiable, even if they can't put it on a high, um, their transcript, even if higher ed isn't asking for it yet, it is still something that we value, that we want to capture, that we want to allow young people to demonstrate. Mm -hmm. So we also received a few questions related to professional development. So we have Maggie from Connecticut who wondered about creating deeper learning environments where professional development systems were ineffective. So we touched a little bit about on this in our earlier discussion, but what do folks think about growing deeper learning in districts or other places against antiquated or ineffective PD structures? Is that possible? Or how would one even go about starting to do that? Maybe we give this one to Jim? Jim or Julie? <laughs> yeah, Jim yeah. especially. Yeah. The, 
The first thing I would say, and again, I think this, this has come up repeatedly in everyone's comments about the importance of adult learning mirroring the types of deeper learning uh, strategies and processes that we're trying to create for students as well. So uh, the first thing I would say is I, I think we have to draw a really hard line of distinction between training and development. And I, don't, and I don't think we do that very frequently in the district professional development or school development systems that I get to see when I spend time in our network schools. Um, training, I think about is, you know, often we show up and we say, on Tuesday, I'm going to teach you how to do it, and on Wednesday, I'm going to show up in your classroom and teach you doing it the exact same way I told you to do it on Tuesday. And that's, that's just not going to get us to building the capacity of teachers to design the types of experiences that we want for our students that lead to these outcomes. Uh, so. Most of the time when I get to spend time, whether it's the district or the school level, observing professional development, it's training. Um, and so I think we really have to draw a hard distinction between training development and really think about development as increasing the capacity uh, of, of teachers right, and the adults in the system to, to manage complexity, to make sense out of the complex act of teaching and learning, and of course, to design and facilitate deep learning experiences for their students. Um, I, I think it's a subtle distinction, but they're pretty far apart when we dig in. On that point, I wanted to ask, and, and Jimmy, of course, please chime in with this, but open to other folks as well, is around the role of culture. So another question we had from Roman in California, who asked about leadership in organizational culture and what shifts actually have to be undertaken um, in those areas to be able to support deeper learning over time. So we've touched briefly on culture today, but I'd be curious to hear folks speak a little bit more about what you think needs to be in place for that to really thrive. Mm. I think there needs to be a huge focus on culture prior to starting in deeper learning at all. I, I wouldn't just expect that a transformation, hey, we're going to do deeper learning like starting next school year. Mm -hmm. So this whole shift around what is my role as an educator in it? Um, and I'll let others respond to that more deeply, but one thing I would say has to happen is we have to rethink the roles according to a certain hierarchy, if you will. You know, I'm the superintendent, you are the teacher. I'm the principal, you are the assistant, mm -hmm. right? So I think we have to forego those hierarchical roles built on titles and really view ourselves as partners in this work together and tap into that we want all the same things, the end results and outcomes mm -hmm. for our kids, and we're partners in this and get rid of those, um, those, those hierarchical titles mm -hmm. accordingly and step back and figure out, okay, it's okay for me to exercise a distributed leadership model, for example, or to allow educators in the classrooms working with students every day or out in the field to make those kinds of decisions. I would... Uh, Agree and also disagree. Okay. Um, and the the reason, the only reason why I say this is because the dis distributive leadership piece I wholeheartedly agree with. Mm -hmm. and, and again, it depends on the culture and the actual capacity of the staff. Yes. We actually, um, in my coaching anyways, and I won't get too particular, but um, they're just not there yet. Um, meaning like really in embracing that role of distributive leadership, um, they need... Uh, on-site uh, a glue that can help drive the engine, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so a part of it uh, in my coaching with this particular school is really helping the leader understand what, what, how important their role is, why. What usually happens when you try to innovate in a system that doesn't cultivate or support innovation is all these internal frictions are going to happen. Mm. Whether it is grading, whether it is scheduling, whether it is my planning time, whether it is all these things are happening at the same time. 
a visionary leader needs to withstand all of that and yeah. hold the team together and still say, this is why. Uh, Deb, you mentioned that eloquently several times now, and I wholeheartedly believe that is anchoring folks in why we're doing what we're doing because that implementation of innovation takes time. It does. So it really, it does. really yeah, takes yeah, yeah. time. And that first year that is so turbulent that without someone to hold the torch to keep the team steady, I've just seen it a lot of energy yeah. just gets consumed. Yeah. No, I, I really appreciate you saying that because I think I was going to the end result, like yeah. this is what I would want a school to look like, right. knowing that it takes many years to get there because right. it's really a mind shift, right? right. And even when people, I have seen this, when people believe they're doing the right thing, sometimes you have to step back in that candor and humility and say, mm, yeah. Like, what other way? Did you notice those three kids are sleeping in the back of the room when they're so active with the other 27, right? right, right, right. Or knowing, and you know, what what is Jose doing out in the community when he's doing this internship? And right. is he really showing up on time? So right. I, I totally agree with you in that. And I also think for a leader, you have to be courageous enough to almost, and I don't want to make this so overwhelming that no one wants to be a leader in a transformative <laughs> state, but it's yeah. almost like you want to be so optimistic despite the fact the weight of the world is on your shoulders to yes. make that transformation successful. Yes. So you have to walk in that every single day, and it's hard to be a leader, mm -hmm. you know, because you don't want your staff to get caught up in, oh my gosh, he doesn't think we have enough money, we don't know right. if we're going to get renewed again. Right. It's hard to do that, but you have to remain like, put the yeah. grin on and keep on going, and I'm sure there are days like, Oh, I hope the teacher leaves, or I hope the principal is not there. To, you know, because it's hard to do it every day. Right. But it's yes. being the biggest cheerleader you could be. Yes, mm -hmm. yes, one hundred. Would want to add to this about you know I, I hear this idea of of transformation for deeper learning is also a transformative process, and and in that work and in that process, right, this role of humility and of being a listener and of creating a collective why. But it's also right that that urgency. We have so much urgency around it, and this is dire, and this is real, and kids are dying and we need to do it now and we are graduating kids into a world that they are not ready for. The urgency is real. Mm. And yet also urgency can be a real enemy of equity. And so in what ways are we taking time to think about the process it itself and to be listeners and to include the voices, the voices of the young people, voices of the families, right? To think of the process of transformation towards deeper learning as also a transformative process that mm. deserves our energy and time and attention as well. Thanks for that, Julie. And thank you for all the comments and the questions that were submitted. Um, I'd like to end our conversation today with a future-facing question for all of us, for each of you to ponder. Um, so in our discussion, we've talked about some of the challenges as well as some of the opportunities that, uh, the, of systems and structures that we can use to spread deeper learning. So in light of that, I was wondering if I could hear each of you speak about what should deeper learning advocates moving forward be striving for? If there was a I know there's several, since we've even mentioned several today, but if there were key policies and levers that we would need to build equitable access to deeper learning over time, what would you put forth for us to ponder in that? Jim, why don't we start with you? Sure. So I, I think one has already been mentioned that I would point to pretty quickly, which is that you know those of us who are deeper learning advocates do have to take seriously articulating um, a set of measures that help uh, that that help the communities we work with, the policy community, like understand what it is we're after and how we see that students are making progress uh, on these other outcomes. Uh, so uh, comments that both Sun and Ed made around that, I would echo completely that we do really have to take that seriously and think about how we make visible what it looks like for students and how families and communities can see 
when students are developing in relation to deeper learning outcomes as opposed to a narrowly defined traditional academic outcomes. So that, that's one I do think is hugely important for us as, as deeper learning advocates. Uh, the other piece that, that sort of comes up quickly for me would be sort of talent pipelines and systems uh, across states um, and thinking about teacher and leader development. I think you're just coming out of the conversation that we were just having in response to the question about leadership practice and organizational change, uh, th there are really concrete implications of teaching and the skills you need are really different in a deeper learning environment. And that's also true for leaders. And, and uh, when, when there's not a talent pipeline or pool, it's easy for schools and systems to get stuck in the early stages of implementing deeper learning. Um, as sort of predictable patterns of staff turnover happen. So I think we do really have to dig in around um, talent development and pipelines at, at, at local and state levels uh, so that, that there are a steady supply of teachers and leaders that, that have this as part of their imagination about what schools can look like and have the skills to bring it to life in their different communities. So do you want to chime in? Yeah, I'd, mm -hmm. I'd love to add, and I'll speak predominantly the majority of the body of my work has been in the urban setting. And I think there needs to be a stronger partnership between schools and parents. Um, particularly our parents, um, you know, coming from an immigrant family, our parents, there is no greater urgency for our parents than for a desire for our, their children to be in a better position than them. Mm. Like their entire commitment and work in their life is to see their, their children be better than them. I can't even tell you how many times my parents said that to me, and it took me a while for me to really understand that. But in our poorer communities, our, our migrant communities, that doesn't necessarily articulate to, quote, deeper learning because it's, it's a different just language, mm -hmm. but it's essentially the same thing. But it gets lost in translation when we, we work with uh, the system. And so I think there needs to be more dialogue between our parents and our schools to really identify like what deeper learning is. And, and then to really have at it and advocate for it and really uh, fight for it within their schools on a practical level to a policy level within their communities. I just think the, the discourse that I've seen so far a lot, the language there's lost in translation of the parents understanding what deeper learning is mm -hmm. um, in our communities and really essentially they want the same thing, but it's just uh, the language is just, it gets lost in the language. So I, I would really want, love to see that collaboration mm -hmm. be more intentional around understanding what deeper learning is. Absolutely. Julie, what are your thoughts? I, I, I think most of the policy implications that come up for me are also connected to assessment. Um, if we know that our traditional assessments are not capturing skills that we're working to develop through deeper learning, there needs to be some, some different work done there. Um, and I think fundamentally that comes down to me to a connection between higher ed, right? Mm. If, if as school oh. systems we are continued to feel so pressure to um, provide, right, if, if we know that an admissions officer has got 10 seconds to look at a kid, right, they're not going to click on that student's exhibition or capstone project. But what are some of the ways in which through badges or through micro-credentials or, or through different partnerships with higher ed, can we create a greater appetite um, down the line for the types of student experiences that we want to be prioritizing in our systems um, but are, are currently seen as an add-on or an extra or, or something that's gravy? Mm -hmm. As a springboard off of that, I would also say that we truly need to rethink teacher and leader preparation programs. Mm. They often tend to be, this is a broad brushstroke, but they tend to be very sterile. 
they are teaching teachers and principals to teach and lead in ways that were good for 10, 20, 30 years. And I don't think we provide enough of opportunities for on-site training almost to, to go into schools that mm. are engaging in deeper mm. learning so people see a different way of approaching right. um, instruction right. or impro approaching their role as well. And I'm just a real firm believer that everything we offer to our kids tells them what it is that we value. Mm -hmm. So we want to transform that the same is true for adults. What we offer to them tells it what it is that we value. So I can't emphasize enough this whole need to do whatever we can to change policies and practices around professional learning, for example, and supporting our adults. But then also always questioning ourselves is that new policy, that new procedure, like what does that mean? for this particular student on this particular day, mm -hmm. because I think it's assumed we do that and too often we don't do it um, uh, kind of outright, right? Mm -hmm. We do it maybe intuitively, but you don't stop and think, mm -hmm. you know, by having a closed campus or an open campus, right. that has certain ramifications for kids, both positive and negative. Mm -hmm. And then how do we teach our kids, if you will, or facilitate those transitions once they get into the community, particularly in programs that require them to do or offer them opportunities for internships and mentorships? Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, before we close today, I'd like to thank all of the panelists for their insights and their time um, and sharing all that rich knowledge with us. And I also want to thank all of you for listening and learning along with us today. If you missed any of today's webinar or you want to share it with your colleagues, you can access it as an archived webinar on the webinar section at allfored.org slash webinars. And if you'd like to learn more about Scaling Up Deeper Learning or the three networks that we discussed today, please visit LPI's website to access our cross-case and individual reports. We also like to remind you that we're answering additional questions on Twitter with the hashtag Deeper Learning, so feel free to follow and engage with us in that forum. Thank you all and have a wonderful day.